you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for everything hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter, and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. That's right, I am your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 19, Hunting Pigs, with Bore It Up Your Magazine's Dave Brazier. Yeah, it's April 2012, guys, and I'm glad to bring you episode 19, Hunting Pigs, with Bore It Up Your Magazine's Dave Brazier. Uh, the reason I chose David actually to come on my show, I had seen Bore It Up Your Magazine several times, and I have read it several times, and uh, I'm a person that doesn't know a lot about pig hunting, and I wanted someone on my show that definitely had a, an array of knowledge in regards to pig hunting because you know there are a lot of magazines out there that basically yeah, cater for several hunters and shooters whether it be waterfowl or you know goats and pigs but I wanted someone that you know concentrates on just pig hunting and uh, the easy option was to ring up David Boradapia and get him on the show to talk to us about pig hunting and uh, it, what a fantastic podcast it was I mean even just for my benefit I learned a lot from the podcast you know firearm caliber usage where to find pigs, how to find pigs, is it better to you know hunt them in summer or winter time, uh, you know, how to look for signs of pigs in the area. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic, and Dave definitely delivered on this podcast, and I was very impressed with Dave's uh, professionality and uh, especially his knowledge in regards to hunting, shooting, and especially uh, pig hunting. So I just want to thank Dave for coming on my show. It was absolutely fantastic to get him on the show. But uh, don't forget, got to get on my uh, monthly soapbox and let you guys know. Again, we are on our Facebook page. Please jump on the Facebook page, like the Facebook page. I love seeing photos. I love the interaction on the Facebook page. You know, I'd love to see your links in, you know, to your YouTube channel of your hunting videos. I love it all. So please get involved on the Facebook page. If you want to find out about our Twitter feed, you can jump on Twitter. And uh, AH Podcast is our username on Twitter. But uh, the best way to find out about the podcast is actually through iTunes. Uh, our podcasts are with the TalkShoe Network, uh, but as I said, it is linked through to iTunes. So the best way to get the automatic downloads is to download iTunes, and then you can subscribe to, which is free, the Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, rate and subscribe five stars. Leave a comment. That gets us more exposure. That would be fantastic. Also, too, guys, we do have the AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au webpage in the process now if you go over there now there'll be a coming soon link uh, or a coming soon page that that comes up but uh, we're going to be onto that in about four to six weeks so, so hopefully we have you know somewhere for you guys to go if you don't have itunes and you don't don't know what itunes is we yeah you can basically listen to it and download it uh from the uh website so hopefully we get up there about four to six weeks and uh it's going to be really good so uh, i think it was about time we're up to almost episode 20 so i think it really was time to get a podcast up and running uh for the australian hunting podcast the best hunting and shooting podcast in australia and uh i think a lot of the people that 
listen to my podcast. I get so many emails. I mean, I get emails from people in Poland. I get emails from people in Canada saying they're listening to my show. And uh, I mean, that's a fantastic feeling. I mean, uh, uh, you know, a small a small guy from, you know, running a podcast from Sydney, Australia, and I've got people from other sides of the world listening to my podcast. I mean, that is truly, truly fantastic and, and such an honor that people actually spend the time to email me and, and you know, spread the word on the Australian hunting podcast so thanks to all my listeners everywhere all the people that have helped me out with question writing uh, I thank you all that have helped me out and you know who you are and also the people that have helped out with donations so I can buy new equipment thank you again from the bottom of my heart I do appreciate it but uh Hopefully you guys are getting out there, doing a lot of hunting and shooting, um, enjoying yourselves, enjoying time away from your uh, work endeavours, and uh, I hope uh, you jump by the Facebook page and uh, or email me and send me some photos. I'm a bit of a bit of a photo and uh, YouTube video junkie, so uh, don't forget to uh, send me over those. Plus, also too, I did forget you can jump on my uh, other website for my feral control business, AussieFeralControl.com.au, and also you can jump on YouTube of the same name and type in Aussie Feral Control, and you'll be able to see my uh, YouTube page with my videos of some hunting and questions. And uh, I'm definitely going to be expanding on the YouTube page as well. So uh, I guess that's enough rambling again for episode 19. I hope you guys enjoy this to all my listeners around the world so without further ado let's get into my interview hunting pigs with bore it up your magazines dave brazier this is dave brazier from bore it up your magazine we'll be talking everything about pig hunting in australia the australian hunting podcast Dave Brazier, thanks for coming on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Really appreciate your time today to talk to me about pig hunting. No worries, Jason. Fantastic. All right, mate, so tell me a bit of, just I guess we could start probably getting in a bit of personal background. How did you actually uh, get into hunting, uh, especially how did you get hunting pigs? Something you've been doing for a long time? It's um, probably something I've been doing for for too long, yeah, suffering hearing loss from it, so that's a, a genuine characteristic of a true shooter, that's for sure. Um, my, my grandfather, uh, Harry Hessian from Kempsey, used to blame for me getting into hunting from about the age of five. Um, I'm now looking down the barrel of 41, so I've been doing it for a while. Um, Pop used to go out in the scrub around Kempsey digging dams and whatever for farmers. He had an excavation business. And um, as a five-year-old, I'd be sitting in the back of the ute waiting for him to dig, and one day he handed me a little single-shot .22 uh, Lithgow rifle. And um, said, look, boy, there's a rabbit warren over there. Here's a box of bullets. Go down there and shoot lunch. And that's exactly where it started. <laughs> that's good. No, that's good. So I guess how did that come into? Um, where did you get, say, the idea, um, you know, to come up with the magazine? How did it develop? Is it always sort of you've always had a passion? Is that your passion, pig hunting? or? Well, the, the progression from you know, shooting rabbits with my grandfather from all those years ago, it was it, it seems to be a natural progression for a lot of um, a lot of pig hunters these days. And you start with the rabbits, and you end up on foxes, um, you know, then up to goats, and then you know eventually up to to pigs. And a lot of other guys get into the larger game, say up the top end from there. But um, for me, I just, I just find the interest of of out you know, chasing pigs either with dogs or, or shooting, which is what I 90, 99% of the time do. Um, it, it's just a, an, an incredible experience to get out there. They're such a, a switched-on smart animal to, to hunt. Um, and yeah, once once you do it once, you're hooked. Um, I, I just 
predominantly sort of stuck with the, the shooting side of things, which suits me down to the ground. Um, a lot of guys reckon that you know, out there chasing pigs with a bar, barrel and arrow is even more of an adrenaline rush, but you know, they reckon once you try that once, you'll never go back to shooting, and I like my gun, so I won't ever be doing that, I don't think. No, exactly. I agree with that too. Sometimes I think I, I can't even hit him with the guns, let alone trying to get him with a bow sometimes, so... <laughs> I definitely haven't got the patience for a bow, so I'll, <laughs> think, leave, I'll leave that alone. Yeah, I think you're the same as me, no, for sure. So I guess, um, where did the idea, say, to come up with the, the you know, the one, the name of the magazine for one, but what was the idea to even uh, come up with a magazine, especially sort of dedicated to pig hunting? Well, as I said, I've, I've been predominantly into pig hunting you know, for many years now, but the, the idea of the magazine was a, a bit of a twisted one. Um, we used to go, well, we still do go camping a fair bit with friends and whatever, uh, out in the scrub near Turil, which is out near Mudgee. And um, while we're sitting around the campfire late at night, you know, after a day of hunting, me and my mate Mick would be out, you know, hunting for, for pigs and the family be left at the camp, um, having a good time there on motorbikes or whatever. And they come around night time around the fire and after a couple of ales and uh, to say to each other, you know, a polite way of still t- telling each other where to go, we just say, I'll bore it up, yeah be in front of the ladies and the kids and whatever, you don't want to swear in front of them. We just, me and mate Mick just got a couple of ideas together. What we were going to do was actually create a, a funny line of um, hunting merchandise like stubbyolas and hats and shirts and things like that. At the time, the the word hunting was a, a dirty word. Yeah, it was in the media for all the wrong reasons at the time and we thought, well, why not shed a little bit of lighthearted humour onto the subject and you know, just come up with some slogans and whatever, which we did. And the uh, the ultimate slogan was going to be, pour it up you. It's a little bit redneck, we know, but it's uh, it's catchy at the same time. And funnily enough, we actually approached a couple of the other uh, magazine titles that were out there at the time, asking for, you know, how much would it cost us to advertise these range of hats and stubby holders and whatever out there. And we were basically rejected. We weren't allowed to advertise those products in their magazine because they had their own hats and stubby holes and all that sort of thing. So not one to be told, no, you can't do that. Uh, that's where the magazine developed from there. I thought, well, blow it all. Um, I'll give my own magazine a, a, a crack. And, and that's basically how it all started from the other magazines not allowing me to advertise them. Yeah, I know, far out. It's pretty pretty rough. I mean, you only want to advertise some of your products and they say, no, I guess, hey, I guess that's a good idea to come up with your own magazine then. Whether it was... Yeah, misunderstood what we were trying to, to sell. Um, and every every other magazine has got their their own merchandise and whatever. And that you know, while you know, I can certainly vouch that they, no one will be making a million dollars out of it. It's a cheap and easy way of advertising their products. And all we were trying to do was to try and uh, create a you know a less serious side to to hunting and let people actually have a chuckle about it rather than look down upon it. Um, so yeah, we just we just carried on. And uh, yeah, the idea of the, the concept of the magazine come together. We're stuck with the name board up here, and off it's gone from there. Yeah, no, perfect. So, how many sort of when did the magazine start, and how many how, how many subscribers you got now? Most of your uh, sales in subscriptions, or are they off the shelf at the uh, local magazine shop, or and, and, and as I said before, when did it when did you first start the magazine, and how many um, uh, issues have you got going so far? Okay, well, we started. Um, when I say we, I, I say that loosely. I'm the only one that's you know, involved with the magazine. I'm um, publisher, editor, graphic design, complaints department occasionally, and all that sort of thing. I wear <laughs> several, several hats with it, but yeah, I, love, right. 
my lovely wife Karen helps me along with some editing at um, at times, and she does my subscriptions and all that sort of thing. But um, again, the publications are a lot different to quite a few of the other titles out there, whereas a lot of the other titles are using advertising money and whatever to actually fund the production of their magazines, whereas um, my advertising rates are quite cheap, probably, if not the cheapest in Australia. And basically, if my magazine isn't made good enough and it doesn't sell enough, well, the next one doesn't come out. So that's how the magazine's solely funded, primarily from sales at newsagents. Um, yep. no, I've only got a couple of hundred subscribers and that's basically the people who live out on remote stations all over Australia and they just cannot get into town to, to purchase a magazine but the magazine's been distributed quite well at the moment by um, uh, Fairfax out of Melbourne and they've really switched on quite well to where the readership basis uh, lies and they're feeding them out to all the news agencies quite well for us which is great. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So when did, when did it originally start? How long ago was it? Hey, um, yeah, it was in 2003. Yep. Um, what's really kicked it on? I think it was about 2001, the original concept come up with the, the hats and, and uh, stubby holders and things like that. And in uh, 2002, we went to our favourite little uh, fishing holiday place, which is called uh, Woolloy, uh, which is just off the coast of Grafton, about uh, six, seven hours north of Sydney. And um, we called into the news agency in Grafton and got a, a week's lot of magazines to read because of some wet weather on the on the way sort of thing. And uh, we had uh, one young child at the time, and um, I bought a, a couple of the popular magazines and had a read. And uh, when we actually left uh, the holiday house, well, I left these magazines in the bookshelf there. Back in in 2003, we returned exactly 12 months later, and I bought the same magazines in at Grafton and went back in and I was reading one of the magazines there and I'm thinking this I've, I've read this story before and it got the better of me I dug through the bookshelf of this holiday house that we were renting and actually found the, the same magazine's issue from 12 months prior and here was a story that was very very similar in um, in the way of instead of say Joe and Bob went hunting it was um, you know, Jim and Greg or something or other, instead of using a 308, they were using a 243 rifle. Some photos had been mirror imaged, all sorts of things. Um, and I said, well, that's not right. We're paying good money for, for these magazines and just reading, it's, it's blatant that you're just reading the same material over again. And um, the wife jokingly said, well, I'll give it a crack. Why don't you start, the mag- start a magazine up? So I had no experience in graphic design, magazine marketing, anything like that. Gave it a go, and yeah, from 2003 to 2012 here, we still are pumping along quite strong. Yeah, so what's your? Do you have any sort of future plans? You know, for the for the for the magazine to sort of I don't know, I won't say expansion, but, but is it just to keep it going, keep it going the way it's going, keep building it, or what's your plans for the future? Well, I believe that the magazine market, being particularly the hunting magazine market in Australia, is is yeah quite well supported with. Uh, someone doesn't like something in one of my magazines, there's going to be another magazine on the market that's perfect for them. I think the, the mix of magazines from you know, not only pig hunting magazines that are out there, there's the um, generalised shooting magazines and you know, fishing and four-wheel drive magazines, etc. They all complement each other really well, I think, um, which is great. So there's something out there for everyone, and I've just basically tailored my own market to what I thought I'd like to read. Um, and it was never designed to be that way, but it's been picked up uh, as far as popularity goes. The, the pig dogging fraternity seem to 
uh, like my magazine a lot better than what shooters do. I don't know why, but um, the the reader reader base for um, for board up here is a lot larger for pig doggers than shooters. Um, but in with in with that in thought, and you know, I, I continually get a lot of shooting articles too, and which is good. Um, back in uh, 2000, and I've got to think now, uh, 2010. I actually started a second publication called uh, Board Up Your Shoot Ferals Australia. Um, and I produced two two issues of that magazine before I decided to blend uh, popular aspects of Shoot Ferals Australia into the, the current format of Board Up Your. Uh, so Board Up Your, as it was, grew an extra 20 pages in length, so it's now a 100-page publication. And I've just incorporated some shooting aspects um, into Board Up Your as well. So it's it's covering, or now it's covering archery, bow hunting articles, uh, shooting articles and pig dogging articles as well. So what's it? I mean, how long does it take you, say, from go to go to woe to sort of you know get say a publication? Do you do you get um, hunting stories in from just people that read the magazine, etc.? How long does it take, sort of, from say start to finish to get a to get a publication out? The the latest issue, issue twenty four, which went on sale um, the first week of March, it took me uh, roughly about eight weeks from. Um, from, from start to finish, I had previously aligned all the material. I knew, I know exactly how much material of what particular sections of the magazine I require to produce uh, each issue, and I had yeah, all the material already sidelined and, and buffered probably uh, about three or four months ago, I suppose. Um, and similarly with the next issue for this year, the July issue, I've already got all the material sidelined ready for that. And basically, it just becomes a jigsaw puzzle. It's just a case of putting it together. All the materials there, you've just got to try and get, blend it in right, make it look presentable, uh, edit, it, edit it right, and make sure that there's, you know, in particular, nothing in there which is going to bring the the, the, the sport, uh, you know, hunting, in particular pig dogging, into disrepute because, as we know, the entities are always watching. Absolutely. We, we don't want to give them any ammunition, any ammunition against us. So always very, very mindful of that and... It's amazing how many people you know, still get their nose out of joint when you reject their material, which I do reject material which comes in which isn't suitable. Um, people just, some people still do not understand why I reject material and, and, and take it offensively, which is, which is a shame. But um, I protect you know, the interest of, of Board Up in particular. I'm also protecting the interest of the other magazines and you know, hopefully hunting DVDs and things like that out there. It's it's the whole picture, and that's to me, that's what a lot of hunters sort of tend to forget. They just think, okay, I'm a pig dog. I only care about pig dogging. But if the wrong things sort of occur in the media spotlight, in particular with with politics at the moment, if the government were to say turn around and get arky with pig dog and say, look, you're no longer allowed to use dogs for the hunting of pigs, it's only a matter of time before they use that as a precedent to go down to bow hunters and then on to shooters and everything else. So. It's it's just a minefield of problems if one hunting code gets gets banned. So I'm just trying to do the best I can to try and protect all the all the hunting codes with uh, the information that I get. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Because you know the sometimes we're like back in '96, and I spoke about this on other podcast. People didn't care about the rifle shot shooters, the shoot the pistol people didn't care about the shotgunners, the shotgunners didn't care about the hunters. You know, the hunters didn't care about the, you know, it just it just got out of control, and then no one was sort of everyone was left with the laws that we've got now. So exactly, that's that's the problem. Everyone just needs to sit back and take five minutes, and just remember we're all in this together. Ultimately, we're all in this together. And I, I always say to people too, sometimes you know, like 
there's some things in the industry that I, I don't like, and I, I, not, not, it's not that I don't support it, but what I do support is their right to do it if it's legal, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to, you know, sit there and say, well, yeah, they can't do that, you know, if it's legal and they're doing the right thing, I may not like certain things, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, just leave them holding the baby, so to speak, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll fight for them as much as I want to fight, hopefully they'd fight for my rights too, so. It's exactly right, I man, I, I respect everyone else's you know, beliefs and, and whatever, there's a lot of guys which are, you know, say, for example, into, into deer hunting, who, you know, walk past pigs every day of the week to, you know, to follow up on that deer that they've been tracking for the last week and a half, you know, that you've got to give credit to them guys, they're, they're dedicated to their particular sport, and the same respect's got to be reflected back to to, to pig divers and the way that they do it. Um, and unfortunately, in any hunting code, in any sport or any activity, for for that matter, there's always that element of people that are going to try and ruin it for everyone else. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're you know, talking fishing forward, riding the lawn bowls. There's, there's going to be someone there who's going to try and ruin the day for you. But um, as, as a whole, if everyone in the sport can band together and keep the one objective in mind, that's to try and protect it for our kids for the future, mate, the place will be, the place will be a lot happier. That's right. All right, mate. Let's get into some, uh, you know, juicy pig hunting question. I uh, questions. Um, let's say someone's going to hunt pigs. Um, let's say what areas would they be looking at to hunt pigs in, and what sort of, I guess, areas of, you know, like they're looking. Yeah, just tell us about areas they'd be looking, you know, for that pigs might hold up in, for an example, and like how far. Let's say we're like obviously you're in New South Wales as well. How far west do we have to go? Are they more of a really far out back sort of? species just tell us a bit about the pig and what they're like and where we should be looking to hunt them frustratingly the um for me like commonly i drive up the uh, the new england area up towards narrabri to do most of my hunting up there um and there's abundance of pigs up there were you know working around the agricultural crops and um you know out around the, the cotton farms and you know all that sort of thing up there and um we will walgut that's a very popular area up towards burke of course the so spread out and given all the rain that we've had recently they're going to be even more spread out and they're going to start popping up in areas that you know they may have only been seen once or twice a year i'm i'm expecting the the population growth and you know where they actually are to expand dramatically by the end of this year we're going to be hearing and seeing you know reports of pigs in places that have never been seen so but as a um as a generic start probably the the, the first place for people to start looking for I can't emphasise it enough is to look for somewhere that you're legally allowed to go. Um, for people getting into hunting to start off with, they just think, oh, I can just go hunting in a national park. They don't understand the rules straight up about why you can't go hunting in national parks. Probably the, the best starting point for anyone getting into hunting and in particular wanting to hunt pigs is uh, sign up with the Game Council and gain an R licence to, to go into state forests, for example. Just, there's a lot of state forests which are reasonably close to, say, you know, metro areas like Sydney and Wollongong and, and Newcastle um, that they don't have to spend a fortune on fuel driving out west somewhere to, to look for pigs or go door knocking on properties to ask permission to, to hunt. Um, the easiest way for someone getting into it, just get your R licence and go to a federal forest, talk to one of the Game Council rangers, um, particularly guys like David Smith and Ned Makem from the Game Council. They'll be able to tell you where pig numbers have been uh, seen in you know, what particular state forest or whatever, whatever. saves a lot of, a lot of hassle when you know that you're going to be doing it legitimately and legally. So. Yeah, with the, say, with the pigs, say, like you said, near like crops and that, they they tend to give farmers a lot of grief and what sort of, you know, I guess if they're you know, destroying crops and that, what sort of you know, crops are we talking about? Well, you talk from, 
from basic um, ground. They, they cause a lot of erosion from their, their diggings. They like to burrow in the you know the soft ground looking for bulbs and roots and whatever. So a you've got you've got them ploughing up ground which you know, farmers have used to cultivate um, you know, wheat or sorghum or whatever. So you've, you've got valuable sort of soil getting eroded and whatever unnecessarily. But um, probably the, the biggest problem for, for for farmers regarding pigs is stock losses, including lambs. Um, etc. They cause all sorts of damage on a yearly basis. Um, yeah, taking away young baby lambs. I think it's something like about 15%, 15 and I think it's cased up to about 40% of lambs have been lost to, to feral pigs. So um, farmers are forever on the offensive, fixing up fence lines of um, of their properties to make sure the pigs can't get in. Uh, add on the effects of what foxes naturally do. Yeah, I was just about to mention that too. I thought, geez, the foxes and pigs is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. The poor old farmer cops it from every angle, unfortunately. But um, now, luckily, there's some, still some hunters out there which can do the right thing and do a good job of trying to get get rid of the pigs, which is great. Great. So, um, but agricultural losses, as, as far as you know, general crops go, digging up the crops and root, rooting up the ground. Polluting the waterways and also the, the spread of diseases that they're known to carry. It's not going to be real good for any farmer out there. Exactly. So, all right, let's say we, uh, where, where do pigs frequent? Like, if we're going to look for pigs on some land, you know, are they you know, going to be around dams and water? Are they going to be in open fields? Are they, you know, in the, in the thick woods? Are they, yeah, give us a bit more, like, what would we, what, what's, the, what's the best areas we could, um, like, let's say a new person's getting into hunting pigs, they, they want to start targeting some areas, where would they, where should they be looking? Where they should be looking is, that's a magical question. I've, you know, for years just tried to, you know, pinpoint a, a particular um, program or, just try and get some consistency of where and when they'll be and basically it can turn out they can be anywhere at any time but um, during the warmer months in particular hang around uh, water holes like dams and creeks if there's a reedy creek um, or a creek with reeds and whatever laying around it you could you know, nearly guarantee that there'll be pigs bedded up during the day trying to stay out of the heat staying close to the grounds staying close to water um, in areas say that um, agricultural properties which border national parks and state forests and things like that, you could guarantee that pigs would be holed up not too far in on the other side of the fence. But again, remember that you're going to have to need uh, you know, legal right and legal access to, to gain um, yeah, access into places like that. So jumping the fence is a no-go. But if, if, a, if a hunter can use a little bit of patience, just sit down underneath the shade of a tree. If it's a nice hot day, for example, Pigs are going to have to come out and have a, have a feed and have, you know, come to water at least you know, one stage during the day. Um, I'm normally fine first thing in the morning. They'll, they'll come out until the sun really starts to, uh, to beat down on them. They'll go back in the scrub for the rest of the day and then it's just as the, the sun starts going down or in the evening, they'll be out. Um, I was trialling some game camera systems at my um, mate's place up at Narrabri late last year and was amazed with some photographs I picked up during this experiment. I basically set um, set a couple of cameras up on a loosened paddock, and within 20 minutes of me leaving, driving out of the paddock, and I certainly wasn't being quiet, I was being quite noisy and everything, um, and within 20 minutes of me leaving this paddock, and the camera could still actually pick up my headlights driving away from this paddock, pigs were starting to come out. They were basically just right on the edge of the forest waiting for me to leave. So... 
um, as soon as the sun comes down, bang, they're out, and they're out until they've, they've, they've gorged themselves silly. About two or three hours later, bang, they're back in the scrub, not to be seen again for the rest of the night. But then I've had other occasions in similar sort of panics with, um, with different types of camera systems and just generally walking around hunting. We've seen pigs out, you know, come out in the middle of the night for an hour or two hours and then back in again, and they just refuse to come out during the day. They're the big smart ones, and they're the ones that will never get caught. Yeah, so as I said, obviously, that probably went into my next question too, so definitely morning and afternoon are the best times to hunt? That's what I found most successful, but it changes for everyone, and it changes in a lot of locations. Um, areas like out at, out at Burke at any time, you know, given of the day, depending if a pig's out on a nice big open flat, um, you know, there's the odd tree around. He might be just sort of feeding along a creek line or something and decide to bed down under a tree with, with very little protection around him, but it's only the sound of a quad or a few dogs come along which might get his attention. Um, and the first, first thing you'll know, you'll see this pig trying to, you know, run for, run for the scrub and get into some cover before the pigs or the, or the hunters get onto him. Um, it, it's just really a case of, uh, I, I think, a lot of luck in some cases. They're just... They're there ninety percent of the time where you where you want to look. It's just a case of finding them. Um, the hot hot spots in New South Wales, uh, definitely once you get over that Great Dividing Range up towards the New England area, anywhere out that way up the New England area, out west towards uh, you know Walgut, Wee Wall, Brewarrina, all out that way, which is unfortunately yeah, sort of flooding at the moment. Anywhere out there, there's there's a lot of hot spots, but it also brings its uh, a large amount of problems. A lot of guys who haven't got legal access to properties, that's where they like to, to tend to, to go. So if you do head out that way and you fit the uh, description of a hunter, expect the local police to also pull you up and just ask you where you're going and you, you maybe ask to provide evidence of you know, that is exactly where you're going and you do have permission to go there. Let's say, again, we're hunting pigs. What sort of you know groups do they normally, say, travel in? You know, what sort of numbers are sort of a... A family knit group, or you'll get you know one or two. You can get singles. Can you get big groups? What's the what's the general? Is there a general rule, or it just, just it could just depend? Again, it sort of varies in in different areas, but uh, more so, I find that there'll always be at least um, say two two to three sows of you know say between twelve to eighteen months of age, and you know with with a couple of the suckers along <laughs> running along with them. Long for the but, ride. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> So predominantly, like groups of about say six, those are certainly not uncommon. And also, you can you can guarantee that you, know, you probably won't see them a lot of the time if you if you're quiet and hang back and don't get excited and jump on the trigger too early. If there's a couple of sows and some suckers walking around, there will be at least one ball following a link, you know, following along somewhere along the lines. Um, and they're real smart. I've seen them once before. I was actually set, sitting on the back of the ute. Uh, with my wife and my two boys having afternoon tea at uh, a mate's property one day and uh, out of the scrub work comes a, a sow and I think it was about six or seven suckers there with it and then out come a, another sow and it was a good, probably 15, 20 minutes later, uh, out come a ball out from the scrub and essentially it's, you know, for the female listeners out there, it's probably not going to go down real well but essentially it was like, look, missus, you go out, you make sure it's safe and if it's safe for you, then I'll come out. The exact language that this boar was sort of putting off. He let his family go out there first, and if they were right for a certain amount of time, bang, off he off he trotted down the paddock, quite confident that he wasn't going to uh, uh, get get hunted. But unfortunately, he 
he made the wrong decision there. I got him. Yeah. Are they, are they, speaking of that, two of the boars, like, are they? You're, will you always, you know, like, wait for to see if a, if a boar comes out? They normally. I said I'm not experienced, obviously, with pig hunting, obviously, like you are. So, um, would you would you wait for the boars to come out? Would you? Um, just depend, like you know, like would, would would you wait, try and get the big one? How how can someone tell? Often the boars a lot bigger than the sows. Well, yeah, the, the boars yeah tend to be a little bit yeah thick, thicker set across the across the check, chest and the back. Um, but if it, it's a it's a hairline decision really sometimes with which comes what it comes down to is how long have you got? Um, is the light going to beat you for a for a decent shot and uh, where you are conditions and all that sort of thing? But um, it's just something over time that when I was a, a young bloke, I'd see a pig and I just want to, I just want to get it no matter what. Um, and you know, nine times out of ten, I would, I'd certainly get that pig. But as you get a little older and a little wiser, um, you just sort of tend to learn to hang back a little bit, just sit back, take five, have a rest, take in what's around you, and um, and just read the situation a little bit better. And it's amazing the, you know, the increase in successful kill rates that I've had by doing that, just sitting back, taking it all in. Even to the point of occasions I've had two and three mobs come out. They've waited for that first sow and the first you know, litter of suckers to come out. And it's like the whole family's up in the hillside waiting. And eventually they just start popping out everywhere. And then you've got the dilemma, well, okay. Which one? <laughs> which, one which one do I go for? But you know, for, for a hunter, that's a good problem to have. But um, again, the, the other thing is what a lot of people sort of get wrong and they get the wrong idea about is the the idea of hunting is eradicating this feral animal, uh, and what you'll find some people will do is just go for the biggest. You know, if there's a ball, they'll just go for the big ball and they'll leave the sow and the suckers and everything else. But for the farmer, you know, they just want the pigs gone. But any any pig of any size is is you know, eventually going to be a, a drama for them. So if you're presented with um, pigs, uh, you know, right there in front of you, or it's going to be a, a bit of a harder task to get in. To walk an extra hundred metres down just get one ball, where you've got to think, like, okay, morally, ethically, what's the right thing to do here? Um, you can get the get the easy score pigs. You knock knock six pigs over for the farmer compared to only just getting one because, yeah, again, nine times out of ten, you'll you'll take one shot at a pig and the rest of the pigs will scatter once that gunshot go off. So, so is that harder like that? Do you normally only get the one opportunity before they sort of bolt back to the scrub or? Well, we'll take take the good with the bad. You know, a, a bad day hunting's better than your best day at work. I've always said. That's true. That's true. I mean, getting one, I guess, is a. But normally, if you say take a shot at one, just say you hit one, will they normally all like, oh, geez, and they all scatter, or they, cause, you know, sometimes like oh, I hunt a fair a fair bit of goats and that, and sometimes I'll just they just pause and just go, oh, what's going on, you know, and then it gives you an opportunity to sort of pull the bolt back, load another one, and off we go again. Depends on how close you are and what type of firearm you, you're using as well. I've had you know, the, the occasions where I've used a. Um, you know, something like a, a two, four, three, you know, on on a, on a pig from a fair distance, you know, fairly sort of flat shooting, reasonably hard hitting um, caliber, and I've, I've shot sort of so far away, and there's been two or three pigs standing next to each other, say in a radius of you know five to ten meters, sort of thing, and they'll initially have a bit of a hop, skip, and a jump, and then turn around and say, well, where the hell did that come from? You know, what's wrong with Jay? Was he laying on the ground kicking? And um, and it gives you just just enough time to cycle the bolt again, chamber another one, you might get two out of the three in, in, that, in that case there. Whereas if you're, you're closer, um, the blast is a little bit too loud for them. And I, I, I feel that they can actually feel the, the, the shock waves and that's enough for them to run. They don't even look back. They don't want to know 
where it's come from, they're just out of there. Yeah, exactly. So I guess speaking of that, we get to our next question too. Let's talk about firearms. Uh, what's like? What's going to be good for say pig hunting? Um, you know, certain actions. You know, is bolt better? Lever actions. What's if someone's going to get into say hunting pigs? They've never done it before. What what should what sort of calibers and and say also what sort of size ammunition say should they be looking at? Um, minimum minimum caliber. In uh, my personal belief, minimum cal- caliber for a pig should start at a two four three. Uh, I've seen plenty of guys using triple twos and two two threes, which have unfortunately needed follow up shots. So but I've seen it happen too many times. And you hit something with a two four three, yeah, it's not going to get up a lot a lot of the time. Um, and they're a reasonably efficient uh, bullet to use, and they're available everywhere and anywhere as well. They're not a an exclusive, you know, caliber which you'll only find at the big gun shops. You could nearly guarantee that every little country um, ammunition or gun sporting store or whatever will have, you know, standard two, four, three, and you know, half a dozen, uh, half a dozen makes on the shelves ready to go. Um, so they're they're a cheap and efficient caliber, and um, anything in my books, anything say over um, a triple four mile, something like that. Is just overkill for pigs. So, but between a two four three and a triple four is fine uh, for most instances. But probably the most popular caliber I think that's getting used out there these days would either be a three oh eight or um, or two seventy seem to be the most popular calibers on pigs in um, in a bolt action rifle. But my uh, long time favourite's been a, a good old lever action thirty thirty, nice and light. Again, uh, nice nice and cheap. Um, most of the lever action rifles will have a you know five to six round magazine, so um, yeah, plenty of uh, plenty of ammunition there for a fun day out and out the scrub. Is that still good for distance, the thirty thirty, and what sort of distances do you reckon they can get? Is that your personal favourite that you use, or that's that's my personal favourite. Um, I've shot with a thirty thirty. I've probably shot out to one hundred and fifty metres, I suppose, um, and then made the clean one shot kills with the 30-30 and that's always the uh, always the main goal um, but we we tend to sort of like where, where we hunt we tend to like to, to get as close as we can uh, to the pigs so that's where the 30-30 sort of really come into there and that's a good one hits them hard they don't sort of get up from that one they definitely don't no I guess the next question too like how, how important is the caliber not to be sort of undergunned and I, I mean I know a lot of people use three R-weights you said 270 30-30 is it, as you said initially before with two two threes and those sort of lower calibers important to sort of you know get that caliber up there like to you know make sure you you know you're giving humane kills well it's the big point you want to try and make the shot a one shot kill make it as as ethical as possible um and you know not bring the animal under any undue stress that's what of course what the antis are looking at us for their every avenue um there's a few hunting dvds out there at the moment which aren't doing the industry any any favours, unfortunately, but um, things like just picking the right calibre straight up, like go for a minimum two, four, three. You know the pig's not going to get up if you hit it in the right you know, spot predominantly. Um, sometimes the opportunity to, to hit a pig in the desired spot, say in the heart lung area or you know, through the shoulders, which will drop a pig immediately. Um, sometimes that doesn't present itself. Um, you know, pigs can turn on the on a the wind. They know that you're there, and at the last minute you screw that trigger, they turn around. So you, you might you know, well, morally wounded, they're not going to go anywhere, but you need to get in there as quick as you can for a follow-up shot. Whereas I've, I've seen several times, you guys with a lot of, lot of calibers, you know, occasionally they might have to put two or three into the pig, and that's just not fair on the animal. 
they're a feral animal, but they're still an animal, and you got to be, you know, on on the ball with, with you know what's right ethically and morally as well. That's right. I was thinking about getting a thirty thirty because I bought a um, seven millimeter R eight for sort of bigger stuff, like when I hunt goats and stuff like that. But so would that be a good caliber if I want to hunt pigs? To that'd be you know sufficient. Definitely, definitely. Um, probably the, the the pick of the pick of the makes in, in thirty thirties at the moment would have to be a Marlin, but I believe there's some. Uh, manufacturing changes coming to those, so you might want to snap one of them up. <laughs> yeah, because always, I'm always looking for something that's. I mean, because I got a, I got a ticker T3 light, which is you know always you know most of my hunting you know they're hunting guns, so I don't want weight in them. But then I grabbed a I think the 3030 a friend. I just I don't know if it was a small make. I'm not sure which one it was actually, but uh, geez, it was it was light. You know, and I'm I'm really a, especially when hunting. I'm rural. I have a real preference for very light firearms. I mean, you'd be carrying bags and packs and. All that sort of good stuff. I don't really want to, you know, be carrying a really heavy, you know, heart, you know, heavy barreled rifle, which just does, doesn't interest me. That's the other important aspect to, to keep in mind. Is, you know, you can chuck a thirty thirty over your back, you'll carry one in your in your arms all day, and that's it, not going to stop you. But if you're carrying a, you know, full size uh, bolt action rifle, you, you're going to know that you're carrying it within the first, you know, hour and a bit, hour and a bit and it's just going to turn out to be a pain in the backside for you. So what is it I'm speaking, let's say, you know, obviously we're using rifles. Now, what about in thick, in thick scrub sort of stuff? Uh, let's say you might have dogs with you. Let's just say, is shotguns, is that, is that uh, like, do a lot of people use shotguns if they're in thick sort of cover? Is there a place for shotguns in, uh, in pig hunting? A lot of guys who sort of hunt out around, you know, literally got illegal access out around the Macquarie Marshes area and uh, area where there's a lot of reeds and long grass and things, they'll, they'll like to go in with a shotgun. Um, I'm not a, a big fan of mixing guns with dogs at all. Um, you just got the recipe for disaster there on, on occasions, and uh, it, it's there's enough on your mind trying to remember where your hunting buddy is. You know, compared with the dogs who are, um, you know, agile as anything, and you know, for one second they could be on the left hand side, and the next minute they're on the right hand side in a heartbeat. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is a shoot your mate and b shoot his dog. Um, so. Yeah, a, a lot of guys will just use shotguns while they're out on their own, uh, going through long grass. Uh, in particular, there's a couple of really good uh, lever-action shotguns on the market at the moment, which are totally ideal for, for hunting uh, pigs and, and mob, mobs of pigs in a close range in rooty conditions. Mm. Um, they're, they're being quite good, but finding their use is sort of fairly limited with safety in mind. Yep, yep. So what's a... Yeah, you know, the best way to hunt pigs. How do you, how often do you normally do it? You just say you you know drive into an area, then you know you you will walk on foot. You know you're flushing them on bikes or quads or how do you like if you especially if you're in like some people are in very open areas for an example. Will you often you know glass the area say with binoculars and then if you see something then go on foot. Do you drive around? What's your what's sort of the method in the madness so to speak? Generally, sort of starts with a a friendly chin wag with the farmer. Really, um, you know have have they seen pigs around? Uh, is there any deceased stock laying on the ground anywhere, uh, you know, cattle or lambs or anything like that? It's normally a good spot to sort of uh, start up, and if you can get a, a general location of where you know some stock might be deceased on the ground and, um, and how long they've been there for, it's a good idea just to pull up a, a rest and get out the binos and just glass the area and looking at the carcass or whatever, uh, and just getting an idea. And if, if it's not a pig that you you get, you can normally guarantee you'll at least get a fox as well. So. Um, but generally, it's just you know sit back, sit back for ten minutes and have a good look around. Open your ears up, open your eyes up. Don't make any noise. Um, as well, if there's livestock around, like cattle and sheep and whatever, 
sheep in particular are a pet hate of mine. They're such a stupid animal when it comes to hunting. They're, they're, they're not a friend of hunters at all. If, um, as you know, if the sheep are on the left-hand side and you're walking towards pigs on the right, you know the sheep are going to run straight towards the pigs and ruin the day for you. Um, but it, sometimes also sitting there actually just watching, let the sheep and whatever settle down. If you watch what uh, stock are doing, like sheep and cattle, as I say, you can see them sort of looking around and tell that something's not right. If if there's a, a fox or a pig or something else walking in amongst them, their um, their body language, if you like, will tell you, look, something's not quite right down here. They're not they're not trying to obviously tell you about it, but just by watching them, you know something isn't right. They're not going about their normal their normal business, and um, that's how I've picked up quite a few pigs, just sort of watching the the behaviour of other animals in the area. Um, even to the sake of birds as well, see birds take off, you know, out of out of long grass. You know, there's something hanging around down there. So just take your time and go for a bit of a bay peep, and who knows what you'll get. Yes. What about what's the best time of the year to say hunt pigs? Does it matter winter, summer, you know, spring, autumn? Does it matter? The seasons, as you know, we've probably had the worst, you know, generalised summer of what we've had for many years this year. Um, so not only are the yeah, us humans out out of whack with the little little bit, so are the animals and it's. I think it's going to take a few, you know, quite a few months for the, um, you know, the animals to settle down. There've, there've been no generalised pattern, whereas yeah, normally summer there's you know, limited rain, a lot of heat, and you'll find the ferals will just continually hang around water all all the time. Um, comes comes winter time, they'll generally tend to you know, stay out in the paddocks a lot longer than, than usual. They um, they're, they're a lot cooler. They, they feel a bit more secure with the cool night air and whatever and. Um, you know, you can you can generally sort of pick up a lot more animals in the in the winter months. Well, that's what I've I've found anyway. But just with all this rain around, as I said before, the animals, feral animals, are going to be pushed in areas where they've never ever been before. So I'm sort of expecting their habits are going to change a lot with the um the way the seasons have been going. So this this year I've sort of looked at a lot. I'm I'm just going to hit hit the reset and keep an open mind to everything that I've learnt previously. So I know things are going to going to change the you know what's worth one particular trip but the game plan that I've had I know it's not going to work you know the next couple of weeks when I managed to get up to my mate's place at Narrabri again um, it'll be just a case of you one as I said get some local knowledge of where there might be some stock on the ground or where pigs have been seen um, or where there's been rooting in the ground found um, go and investigate those areas and just sit back and have a look it might take me a couple of days to get the game plan of, of what the animals are actually doing if they're there at all and um, yeah, going from there. Yeah, no, great answer, man. It's pretty good. Um, let's say, let's talk about safety. Um, obviously, you know, compared to say other animals that are sort of spooky and they'll often run off. Like, if you confront pigs, what's their temperament like, and what sort of safety precautions say do people need to take? Obviously, you know, when hunting, if they, especially as you said, if they're getting into into the thick areas and the the reed grasses and all that, and they you know they spring some pigs, or even you know shooting at pigs, there's been stories of people getting you know, chased, if you will. I'm not sure if they're exaggerated or not, but what, what sort of safety do people need to know? Especially if you've got a big boar and he's got a big set of, what do you call them, tusks on them or whatever you call them, what 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 could they do like to make sure they, they, they keep themselves safe? As I said, they're, they're a smart animal. Um, well, I don't know how many pigs I've walked past in the in the past. Like You might be sort of looking at one and following a trail of one and literally walk straight past a, a pig and I've had a mate in a different area in contact on a, on a UHF radio, sort of watching me, he might be, say, in a, in a car. 
and um, I walked literally straight past a, a pig and not smelled him, didn't realise he was there while I was concentrating on you know, following the trail of, of another pig still in sight. And um, yeah, the first thing I knew about it was when mates called me on the radio and turned around find a, you know, a, a bigger pig running away the opposite direction. So the, the opportunity for a, a pig to attack has been there several times with me. I've been fortunate enough not to not to have been attacked, but many guys do, you know, quite innocently just walking through the bush. They might even be tracking a, a pig that a pig will just lay doggo on the ground, uh, and if he feels there's no no way out of the situation, well, bang, you'll get charged. So you, you just got to be wary there. Yeah, 90% of the time they're probably watching you more than what you're watching them. Um, introduce sows with you know, a mob of squirrels. You know, the mums will go into defensive mode, something chronic. Um, I had probably the, the, the closest experience I had to being uh, charged was while I was reviewing a couple of uh, scope-mounted torches here about 12 months ago. Um, again, at the most place up at uh, Narrabri out in his loose and paddock late at night. And... Um, I'd uh, spotted a, a mob of pigs through the torch and just turned the torch off and was walking along, partly assisted by the moonlight, and um, just kept walking until I could make them out in, in the moonlight. And um, I flicked, flicked the light on, and just in the corner of my eye, uh, off the, the right-hand side, I seen a big white and black ball running off you know, to the right-hand side out, out of the light. But there, there in front of me, I was presented with you know, two or three sows and, and a, a mob of, mob of um, the suckers there. So I, I managed to hit two of the sows and put them down. And my mind just went instantly, where did that big ball go? And I've spun around and turned around about three metres behind me. There was this poor, he'd just basically done a, a semicircle behind me. And he was coming straight at the, straight at the back of me. Uh, and he'd, he'd covered a distance of... You know, 80, 80 to 100 metres in no time at all. Um, so basically with about a metre, metre and a half behind me, the 30-30 was caught quite quickly and he was put ahead of his misery. Yeah, I was going to ask you whether it was the 30-30. That seems to be one of your favourites, huh? That saved me backside, at least on that occasion, quite well. Yeah, so. no, I was thinking about those little lever actions, yeah, something about them, you know, like that... And I was thinking about purchasing one myself, but you know when I'd sort of be able to use it, I keep thinking, you know, because I've already got the high caliber, you know, hunting rifle that I've already got. But hey, there's always room for something else in the safe, I'd say, all the time. So you just need permission from the financial manager, and you're right to go. That's right. Don't have one of them, so the financial manager's me. So it gets approved on every occasion. <laughs> Today, go out and get one. Well, I think I might have to put a permit to acquire it. I think, but uh, <laughs> mate, what about? Um, uh, Eating game meat pigs, they, do they carry too many diseases, just not worth even attempting it? Or what's the situation with, um, say, um, you know, is it only good for dog meat? Or what's the situation with pigs and that? You, can, you, can you take the, so the legs off them and that and it's a good meal? Or what's the situation? Well, I've eaten wild boar quite a few times. And um, you know, if, if I was to look at, look at you know, having a wild pig compared to you know, some quality snags and a T-bone I've you know, dragged up in the freezer from home, I'd... You know, more than likely be home for the sausage and the T-bone um, late at night rather than eating the wild pig. But um, there are quite a few guys that will eat you know, everything that they hunt, um, everything that they've collected. There's uh, quite a few guys I know that you know, come from the Sydney region of Middle Eastern background. They like to, to take everything that they get and you know, they, you know, that's just their family tradition. They love it. Um, but for me, I'd, I'd rather eat something out of the pantry. But it, it is it is something that quite a few people do. It's just a case of looking for your basic disease and making sure that you know, the heart and liver uh, aren't spotted, which you know, generally points to a, a disease of some sort. That's you know, the, the sort of basics that they look at 
when guys are boxing them for, for human consumption, they've got to leave the heart and lungs and the liver, I think, in New South Wales. And I think it's the heart and the lungs in Queensland off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, the, the, um, the, the game act processes inspect the carcasses before they're cut up for, for human consumption. If they're you know, showing any, any spotting or you know, odd, odd colours on any of them organs, they just, the, the carcass discarded and not used. But um, you know, a lot of guys will just cut a, um, cut a leg off a... As a smaller size pig, say something up to about 30 kilo in size, they'll, they'll cut a cut a leg off, rear leg off a pig, and chucked on a um, you know, over a race with a, a bit of garlic or something. It's beautiful. Mm, getting excited just, now thinking about it. Just depends on what food source you've already got stashed there. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Probably just mind over matter. I think. I've got a few more questions before we sort of finish off. Um, what's your What's your biggest uh, pig you've ended up taking? Uh, you know, out in the field. Uh, biggest one or the highest I could get him off the. Um, Highest I could get him off the ground, his head was still on the ground. The scales were reading 93 kilo, um, and his head and his neck were, were still predominantly laying on the ground. I just couldn't get him up high enough. So I'd, I'd like to say he was over the magical you know, ton figure, or the, the 100 kilo mark, which is a, 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 a seemingly sort of you know, popular weight for a lot of guys to crack. And you know, some guys come frustratingly close. I know guys that have repeatedly got out got out and got 97, 98, 99 kilo pigs and they just can't crack that magical 100 kilo mark. Um, but then you get some other guys from the top end of Queensland up around the sugarcane farms and all that and they're you know, pulling in 115, 125 kilo pigs. But for, for, for me, yeah, that, yeah, 93 kilo. And that was with the 30-30 as well? That was with the magic 30-30. Bloody hell, yeah. It seems like a buy. You're getting me more excited to go and buy one by the minute now. <laughs> <laughs> they're a great little gun and you know, regardless of whether you use them open sided or with a with a scope as far as a an all a good all round um reasonably efficient uh quick to reload you know cheap to cheap to feed gun you can't get past the thirty thirty in my books no, exactly. So, right, last couple of questions. As I said, what, what what do you think of the political climate, say at the moment, surrounding say legal hunting in Australia? What do you what do you think of the laws and what's uh, What's your opinion on uh, you know the acceptance of hunting in Australia? Uh, it's forever on a daily basis. It's, it's something you've got to tread lightly with. You never know what's around the corner. Um, and unfortunately for gun owners in New South Wales, with all the um, the shootings going on in Sydney, I believe there was some arrests there last week or the week before, with with a couple of guys that they seem to think were you know, suspected of being linked to these shootings, but. It's just a sad fact, as I mentioned right back at the, the start, that all hunters have got to you know, keep in mind that we're all in this together. And in respect of these illegal shootings in, in Sydney uh, going on, I'm, yeah, I can't, I can't guarantee it, but you can merely suspect that you know, the guns have been used, aren't registered, you know, or the, the shooters weren't licensed to have them. They're just criminals. They're not shooters. But unfortunately, shooters are the ones which... You know, more often than not, get labelled as the criminals. The law-abiding firearm owners have done nothing wrong. Some um, germ's got his hands onto a handgun or a you know, sawn-off shotgun from somewhere, causes carnage, and for some reason or other, it's the shooters in New South Wales which always you know, seem to cop the flack about it. Um, and that just gives the, the government... I know the, um, the police minister, uh, Michael Gallagher, I think his name is, He's keen to tighten up gun laws. Uh, the police are keen to tighten up gun laws. Uh, Barry O'Farrell seems keen just to try and clean up the problem and improve his image, and I think he's going to do whatever he needs to do to do that. If they start putting harder restrictions on shooters because of these illegal activities, then it's going to open up 
um, a, a paradox of other things like, oh, okay, um, what else can we get into? So, okay, there's going to be a goose with a, a, bow, a bow and arrow shooting was or a news report about a week and a half ago as well. I think it was a a goose or a duck or something somewhere found with a, an arrow in it somewhere. Yeah, I did read that one. That's right. Yeah, I did read that one. Obviously, someone who doesn't know what they're doing and someone who's obviously not a not a hunter. But now that's all of a sudden going to brand bow hunters in in the same element as you know, these criminals who have been doing all these illegal shootings in Sydney. This is where the, you know, the, the term hunter will come into it. So anyone who owns a gun or a bow and arrow, anyone that hunts, are going to be stereotyped as, as a criminal. So un- unfortunately, um, I, I think you know, some politicians out there doing a great job for us. Obviously, the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party do a great job for supporting um, hunters and fishers in, uh, in New South Wales. Bob Catter in Queensland, he's um, he's stepped up the plate quite big up there with his uh, campaign. Uh, yeah, that's right. His firearms policy, yeah, very very good stuff, I think. Um, we need need some big, you know, some, some some more big names like that. We're really coming out and supporting and and being honest about you know what it, what it's all about. But without the support of guys like that, I mean, we're we're going to be very quickly up at proverbial creek without a paddle. So um, every day that I hear of um, an illegal shooting, you know, a, a bit of wildlife with an arrow stuck in it, um, and even more scaringly so is um, dog attacks. The, the media seem to love nothing more. You know, when a, um, a, a dog attacks a child, they love nothing more than being able to label. You now the dog was a pig dog. What is a, a pig dog these days? You know, um, any any dog can attack a child or or an adult. It all comes to you know, it's not the dog's fault. Nine times out of ten, it's the owner's fault for not. Socialising the dogs, um, you know, the dog you know, left on a chain for 24 hours a day is going to go insane. Um, so yeah, the, the media are probably our biggest enemy in the political <laughs> spotlight at the moment. They're just they're keen to keep the boot in into us at any any opportunity given. Yep. No, exactly. My thoughts exactly. I've been saying it for a long time. I do like to do a few political podcasts, you know, here and there on, um, you know, I've interviewed Robert Borzak, a few other people around the 96 era when the laws changed. And man, some of the stuff I've found out has just blown my mind. I mean, you know, David Hawke, I think was episode nine, I think, you know, some of the stuff that, especially with all auto loaders and shotguns and pumps and stuff like that, a lot of the stuff was literally what we saw in, in uh, movies was had a lot to do with uh, some of the laws that were uh, put forward. Astonishing stuff, astonishing stuff. That's for sure. I tell you that. But uh, all right, mate. Um, two more questions to go. Let's say, what is one piece of advice? You know, some person wants to get you know a new hunter in the sport. He wants to get into pig shooting. What's one piece of advice you think would be the most important to get him out there and getting hunting? Uh, in, you know, get him out there hunting pigs. Probably the the, the best thing to do is have a have a read of the magazines. Uh, as I said before, you know, all the magazines seem to complement. Uh, each other quite well in in Australia. Um, you know, shooting magazines. You've got Guns and Games, Sporting Shooters, which are both great publications. Uh, if you're into the, the you know the, the, the shooting part of it, there's a couple of good bow hunting magazines out there, and everyone seems you know, really switched on to look. We, we've got to try and give the right advice out there and show what's what's ethically right. You know, what guys should be doing. So, I have a read of have a read of the magazines. Uh, join up with the Game Council, get yourself an R licence and start off with the basics there. Go and do some courses that the Game Council offer to uh, to new hunters, you know, whether you're a bow hunter or a shooter um, or, or a pig dogger. Even they've, um, they've had you know, pig dogging um, 
uh, classes or at the school, if you like, uh, down at Orange there last year, the year before, um, trying to teach guys who had you know, been either coming into it new or had been into it previously of what was expected of them in the current um, current trends. And there was, interestingly enough, there was a, a couple of guys who attended, uh, one guy, uh, Richard, his name was, I can't remember his last name, but he'd come up all the way from Victoria. And, you know, he was in his 40s like me, and the last time he'd hunted pigs with dogs was when he was in his 20s, and the inevitable happens, you know, he met a lady and had a family, and hunting's gone to the wayside, but he decided to get back into it, and he'd he, he done the, the exact right thing. He thought, well, I'm sure things have changed, um, you know, from 20 years ago. I'll go and learn about what's what's expected of me now. And he had a ball, I and mean, some of the things he used to be able to get away with, it's like anything, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, no one worried about, you know, booze buses and things like that and, you know, things like jump, jumping fences and just going on a property to you know, to get a pig without permission from the from the, the, the property owner. Nine times out of ten wouldn't have been a worry for the farmer because he was happy to see the pig gone, but um, yeah, trend, trends today show that, you know, the other people jump jump the fences for other reasons, not not just for hunting. So, um, But anyway, it was Richard come up to the game council. He learnt learnt everything that he should have been doing and as far as I know he's back in the hunting and he's got some new dogs and uh, out, there, out there running some, some new dogs and having a ball and doing what's what's required of him in today's uh, current element. Um, follow the guidelines, join the game council, um, uh, go to a couple of their, their, their schools or classes that they've got running on, you know, different aspects of hunting. Um, even you know, even to the point of joining up someone like the Shooters and Fishers Party, or you know, depending on what state they're in, join up with Catter's Australian Party, and and really take take notice of what you know the politicians, the guys which is you know help save our backsides at the moment, what's expected of them. Um, joining associations like the Sporting Shooters Association, um, Australian Hunting Hunting Net Incorporated, AHNI, uh, that's another great little group for, for shooters. If someone's into pig dogging, uh, probably you know, should be a mandatory thing in my belief is the Australian Pig Doggers and Hunters Association. Uh, it's the only national pig dogging association that was uh, uh, set up to try and protect the the aspects of, uh, of pig dogging. I think it was back in 2003 or 2004, and they're still kicking along quite good. Um, they're often in close liaison with the government agencies of what's expected and changes in dog laws and whatever. So. If, you know, regardless of whether someone wants to get into bow hunting or shooting or pig dogging, there's an association out there to join join the game council at the same time. I'm sure between all you know, three or four of these places, you'll get on the right track of what's expected. Perfect, mate. All right, to finish off, uh, second last question, mate. Tell us, a, uh, a, I guess, a story, mate, maybe one of your... Obviously, we're talking about pig hunting, so maybe... You know, a good day on the pigs, man. Yeah, you know, it might have been a, you know something bad that happened. Could have been a funny story. Could be a, a big haul of pigs. Just you know, give us a quick story to sort of finish off about one of your best days on the pigs. Well, there's a couple. Of, <laughs> there's a couple that come to mind. Probably a couple which aren't going to be yeah, really good for um, for radio. But um, one one particular one I <laughs> will put through. I'm going to embarrass me, allow myself here. <laughs> I was uh, able to made it uh, to roll out near Mudgee on a property which is uh, surrounded by the Golden River National Park and uh, quite often it was at, at a time they were doing a lot of the back burning and, and whatever from uh, from the air so occasionally there'd be a helicopter flying overhead and um, anyway we're walking along and my mate who's quite skinny and whatever he got up early in the morning cooked a nice big brekkie and billy tea and god knows what else and anyway, we've set off from from camp and 
I've, I've suddenly got the, uh, the the call of nature or the urge for the call of nature, and you're out in the scrub. There's not too many places to obviously go. So, like like you know, everyone else in the world, you try and find a nice little you know, sheltered block, you know, with trees around you and whatever. And long story short, I've, I've managed to get down to business, and I could just hear something coming, and I thought, what the hell is that? And uh, of course, you can. You can keep everything clear you know, around you, or you're protected from trees around you, but you can't shut out the sky. And next minute, I looked up, and from across the national parks come the national parks and um, wildlife helicopter hovering, you know, 30 or 50 feet above the trees, just sitting there looking at me, a gentle wave from the pole, and off they were gone. Um, well, <laughs> and uh, two seconds after that, after I finished shaking my head, I heard a gunshot behind me, and he's a, he's a mate. Um, Shooting some pigs at the, the national parks, and then we pushed national parks chopper and actually pushed out of the park onto the private land we were on. Oh no, and, good um, stuff. They'd seen our camp, so we managed to clean up, and I got terribly embarrassed. But anyway, <laughs> that's my most memorable, unmemorable moment. So they're not appro- probably not appropriate, but funny in my aspect. Anyway. No, no, it's good. I always like the funny ones, or sometimes I mean other guests have told me ones where they've like had you know game in front of them and missed them from five meters, and you know they've missed. Oh, it's good. Always like a good funny story, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I've had yeah, plenty of stories and missed opportunities, that's for sure. But um, yeah, that's a, a memorable one, a memorable one. I'd like to try and forget it, but it's just there. <laughs> All right, Dave. So if people wanted to say contact you, go to the website, you know, check out your magazine. So where can they go? How can they contact you? How can they become, say, a subscriber of the magazine? Or where can they buy the magazine? Uh, no worries. Well, general information on the, the magazine can be found at our website, which is www.boredupya.com. Uh, or you can email me direct, Dave, D-A-V-E, at boardupyou.com. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me as well, my mobile number is 0418-502-760. The magazines are available nationally through news agencies and sub, uh, sub-agents, like service stations and things like that. Um, if anyone has any dramas getting hold of any copies out there, let us know, and I'll should be able to let you know where your nearest news agency is. Fantastic, mate. All right, mate, I appreciate you coming to the show, I'm sure. You know, like people are going to... I always wanted to do a pig uh, hunting podcast as well for people that wanted to get into pigs, something that you know, I've always wanted to sort of get into too. I haven't had the opportunity yet, so um, even just what you've told me today just has certainly not, not only helped me out, but I'm sure it's going to help all the people that want to get out there and try and hunt pigs. So, um, yeah, it's some good knowledge you've given out today. I said, keep up, keep up the good work in the magazine. I actually bought it, I'll be honest, for the first time probably, yeah, three weeks ago, and... Um, uh, even just looking at some of your stuff in the magazine, it's interesting to me too. So I'm, I don't know. I, I, I'm honest. I don't know much about pig shooting. Um, you know, so it's certainly going to help me to be able to get out there and hunt pigs as well. So I'm sure it's going to help people that listen to the show. Um, we've had, you know, I think last time I released a podcast, I had over a thousand listeners. So I'm sure that this will be pretty much the same, man. And we're going to keep getting bigger. And your podcast is certainly going to, you know, help the new people get into sport. So thanks, Dave, for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate your time and. Uh, Good luck with the magazine and uh, good luck for the future, man. And good luck with the pig hunting. Hopefully, I can maybe send you some photos probably over the next year and you know, with some advice you give me and pictures of a few pigs, hopefully. Yeah, no, not a problem. I appreciate the uh, invitation to participate with the show, Jason. Um, the great concept you've got going there and you know, anything which yeah, promotes hunting in the right spotlights, you know, spot on in my books. I, you know, I think you're doing a tremendous job there, as do yeah, quite a few of your, uh, your listeners there. And uh, yeah, regards to some pig hunting photos, I expect to see some photos of you with your new thirty thirty <laughs> yeah. within two weeks' time. <laughs> oh no, jeez, I've no, got to get, no, I've got to get the permit in yet. I've got to they got to send it. Actually, yeah, well, that's a uh, leave will be A class, and yeah, I've already got an A class, so I should have it back in about seven days. So 
Yeah, there you go. Two weeks. Oh, okay, I'll give you three weeks. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll grab one from home uh, this afternoon and I'll, I'll submit one in. Hopefully it's uh, all that I'm after. So, mate, I do appreciate it, mate. You're a legend. Thanks for coming to the show. It's always it's always a pleasure interviewing my guests. So thanks for coming on, man, again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries at all. Cheers, You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.